Hey everybody, welcome to Bookstabber, episode number eight. Hello. I am Willow Payne. I am the artist and co-writer of LibraryComic.com. And I am Gene Ambom, uh, the writer of Library Comic. I'm filled with energy all of a sudden. I was totally dead, but <laughs> now are. I'm ready to uh, host the Olympics. Here we go. Women's bobsled team, we were, go. It, it, it was it was because we were just talking about Maria Bamford, and we, we found a, a point of agreement that we both love Maria Bamford, I think, who I saw last night. Okay, I think that I am of the opinion that we both like a lot more things. I think you come from a place that we have more in disagreement than we have in common, which I think... No, not at all. Not at all. No, well, no, no, every time true. you're surprised, like, of, yeah, I like Maria Bamford. Are you... I wouldn't be surprised to discover that you liked Patton Oswalt or someone, right? Right, 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 right. No, I, I, I do agree with that. But I, I think, um, and, and I would I would guess that you like Patton Oswalt to some extent as well. Yes. Um, but there are a lot of comedians that I, that I enjoy that I don't think you would like. Well, okay, name a comedian that you don't think I would like. Um, who did I, who did I listen to recently? Um, let's see, I think you might like, I think you might like Nate Bergazzi. Do you know who he is? Uh, doesn't sound familiar. Is this uh, an older comedian, a newer guy? No, no, he's, he's uh, probably around 40-ish, maybe late 30s. He, uh, great special on Netflix called The Tennessee Kid that starts with um, three jokes that are just wonderful. And the third one takes place uh, in between Tacoma and Mount Rainier in Washington State. So I highly recommend that one. I, I, think, I think you would enjoy him, but I don't think you'd like, um, like Tom Segura. Yeah, I think I have seen Tom Segura, and it wasn't quite for me. So you're, you're. I right. think you're right on that one. But yeah. I might have to revisit it. I don't know. Maybe it was fine. Um, I, I probably didn't hate it, you know. But let's right. let's talk about things that I do hate, like books. What did we read this week <laughs> or this month, Gene? We, we we read uh, a book I just absolutely love. Um, I reread it. You read it for the first time. It's All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Uh, it's the first book by Charlie Jane Anders that I ever read. And I read it after uh, my friend Gina introduced me to her on the street in New York. Uh, this was the first time I read it. Probably, like, I want to say 10 years ago. Uh, I was there for Book Expo. And uh, I did not know who Charlie Jane was. And uh, she seemed delightful. And so after I met her on the street, I... Um, I wanted to read uh, her book, and so Gina recommended that one, and oh, it was so good. It was so good that I have a physical copy on my very small, I love these young adult books, bookshelf, and I know this book wasn't really marketed as a young adult book, but I think it very, very much is, um, and I thought it was just Neil Gaiman-esque enough for Willow to like. So and <laughs> with that... Before I we go any further, we're going to spoil this book, I think, from toe to tip. This is going to get spoiled. Yep. We try not to spoil things, although I think I don't know. I, I it's unavo- it's it, it's unavoidable. I, like you should go read this book right now. Is my advice. It's so good. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Gene. Well, well, no, no. I just want to say, like, 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 if you have not read this book and you have any inkling at all to read this book, do not listen to this podcast right now. Go go read the book first, or at least start the book. And if it's not the book for you, maybe listen to the podcast. But but I'm telling you, it's it's probably the book for you. It's just amazing. Or if you're like me, Willow, and you just don't care about spoilers, listen to it and then decide. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so I'm. All right, all right. So, so today, today Willow's going to do the pitch. I'm very excited. I'm going to try. I, I may I may chime in. I may chime in. Here you go, Willow, and tell me tell me about this book in a way that I should I would know if I uh, should read it or not. Okay, so this book is about two main characters: uh, a girl named Patricia and a boy named Lawrence. 
Uh, it starts when they are both young children, and within the first two chapters, we see that Patricia is uh, chosen by the elements of nature to be a witch, and we're not entirely sure what this means at the beginning. And she spends a lot of the a lot of her young life not knowing what being a witch is and thinking that maybe the whole thing was sort of a hallucination that it didn't really happen. Uh, our other main character, Lawrence, from a young age, is kind of a super genius, a very sort of cartoony Jimmy Neutron uh, style wonderkind who invents, you know, time machines and nanobots and all kinds of strange uh, technology. But it must be said, a particularly useless time machine. Sure. Anyway, so they become friends as children. They both attend the same elementary school, middle school. Uh, we follow them as they grow up. We There's kind of a time skip, and then they're in their 20s, uh, living in California somewhere. I, I think it might be Los Angeles. No, it's, I think it's San Francisco. San, I think it's the Bay Area. Thank you. Um, right. So they, they re-meet as adults. Uh, Lawrence is in a relationship with a, another beautiful computer robot genius. Uh, Patricia has gone to magic school and has mastered her powers. Um, and suddenly their sort of groups come into conflict with each other in odd ways. Um, Lawrence is, you know, sort of relies on Patricia's witch abilities a couple of times, even though he doesn't really like them or understand them. Uh, eventually, you know, the world is brought into... The, the, the stakes get raised as natural disasters start destroying the world effectively. Uh, the science people are trying to get off of the planet Earth to, to save themselves. The magician groups are... Basically trying to, how would you say it? They're they're trying to not help people exactly. They they seem to be using these natural disasters in a way to control the flow of history and kind of a Machiavellian scheme. Well, I I, I would say that I would say that uh, the magicians see themselves on the side of nature somehow, and and they are going to push things back toward nature while uh, the scientists are trying to figure out a way to get off the planet to abandon the planet, basically. Right. In the face of chaos. I, I In this, I've also forgotten that there was a, a character at the beginning of the novel who is a super assassin who is trying who was trying to stop Lawrence and Patricia from hanging out because both of them were featured in some kind of prophecy that, that, that they would bring about the end of the world. Right. So he becomes he becomes their middle school guidance counselor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... And he's very popular as a guidance counselor. This assassin and tries to push them apart. And, uh, you know, then uh, Lawrence and Patricia as adults uh, eventually realize they have feelings for each other. Big shock. Um, it, you do see it coming from a long way. It doesn't, it doesn't work out well. Uh, the, the magician group destroys this wormhole machine that uh, the science group is working on. Lawrence and Patricia spend a lot of the latter half of the book thinking that they're at odds with each other when they actually aren't. <laughs> what, am I wrong? No, no, no. Your pitch is just like, it's, it's like, it's like the whole... The whole thing with uh, with spoilers. I'm just laughing because yeah. like because like you love spoilers, so so I'm good. Well, I don't love spoilers. I don't mind spoilers. I think anyway. Uh, you know, the end of the book, they work it out. Those two crazy kids, they get together in the end. Uh, Lawrence <laughs> Lawrence has to break a magical vow, and he loses the ability to speak. Also, there's a there's a supercomputer that Lawrence made, and it fuses with a magical tree. <laughs> I love. It, I love your tone in this. I love your tone in well, this. Well, these are the things that happen. Look, that's that's my pitch for the book. If any of that that's sounds interesting book? to you. Oh, 
Go um, right ahead. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The the full spoilery pitch. Okay. Um, wow. So so how do you feel about this book? I mean, I, I, it's coming through a little bit, but... Uh, well, honestly, the big takeaway I have from this, the, the number one emotion that I feel after reading this is disappointment because... I read the oh wow well because I read the first chapter. You you sent me this book, a physical copy of this book, with a sticky note being like, "I think you might like this one." Future book stabber topic, and I was like, "Okay, interesting." And so I started reading it. In the first chapter, I was like, "Oh, this is cute. This is like a this is like a Narnia sort of like an actual children's fantasy book." Uh, and then I yeah, the opening is very the opening is very strong, and I would say potentially a little misleading if you don't know what's coming i but. very misleading yeah um and then i read the second chapter and i thought oh okay this is weird and well let, let, wait let, let, let's talk about the opening for a second because i love the opening so much all right let's talk about the um opening. and and, and, and I, I came into this book knowing nothing about it um and i remember it was a little jarring about the time skips and stuff but like the the opening is patricia right yes and she she gets lost in the woods and uh, she finds her way to this this tree, this this clearly magical tree. And there's all these birds there that are talking to her. And and uh, they're they're called the Parliament of Birds. Seems to offer something of great promise to her, right? Like they tell her, they basically tell her she's special, and that she has a duty to do the right thing. And they ask her a question: Is a tree red? Which she never answers. And and so so that happens. And then and then Lawrence, very young, I think they're like seven. Uh, he. Uh, He's the youngest person to ever build a two-second time machine. He kind of runs away from home. He um, he feels very special. He found he found these plans on the internet, kind of figured them out. He runs away to go watch the launch of this rocket ship. Um, he takes a bus. Doesn't like doesn't tell. Kind of lies to his parents. And he meets all these people like him who are much older, who are involved in this project. And they kind of. When they see he's got this time machine, they all have the time machine. They're all kind of geniuses that have built it, but he's the youngest person ever to have built it. And so they treat him like like one of them, which I think is a very special moment for a kid, too. When a kid is acknowledged as like a human being by people who are older, who are doing things that kid wants to do. I mean, I remember when librarians did that for me, when they started treating me like like not like a little kid, but like like a person who could read anything in the library and, and was interested in being a librarian. That was a cool moment. And so this resonates with me. Um, and you don't know kind of kind of what's what's going to happen from that, and but you're expecting something. Maybe maybe it's going to go right from there, but instead it jumps forward suddenly. So and and basically when it jumps forward, like nothing special has happened to really either of them. Like, uh, well, I guess I guess at least special things have happened to Patricia. She hasn't figured out magic at all. Nothing is working. Nobody has come to her. There's no more magic in her life. The birds haven't spoken to her again. Um, she she kind of can't figure out what's going on. She's fourteen now. Lawrence has built. He's trying to build a supercomputer in his closet, um, but it's not working too much. Um, he's a science geek. He wants to go to a science high school. The nameless the nameless assassin is now like their guidance counselor at school. Um, he's kind of trying to mess with them, but it's not like it's not a great time um, because you're expecting this kind of like kind of upward motion in the story, I guess. Like like to me. But what happens is really unexpected. It's that like Patricia tells Lawrence about about magic, which you kind of can see coming. But when she does, he has this super awful like physical reaction to the to the chaotic nature of it. Like he's physically ill and he kind of shuns her and they kind of aren't great friends again for a while. 
Like, I, I kind of love that, though. I love that it defied my expectations like that, but it sounds like you didn't. Well, it can't... The book telegraphs everything, and when I say telegraph, I don't mean that it's obvious. I mean, it literally, like, in the third chapter, it's like, Theodolphus Rose, super assassin, knows that these two are gonna have a huge war between magic and science, and the fact that it's a book about a boy and a girl, you kind of know they're gonna they're gonna get together at some point. Like... It's all very, like, it tells you what's going to happen. It doesn't defy expectation. The only expectation it defies is uh, one of quality rather than of, of plot. Oh, I love the quality of this book. Well, I'm, glad, that you, I'm glad you do. Life is, uh, I, I, wish, I wish I could live inside <laughs> your head. Um, no, I mean, but, but, but like, like all books telegraph what's going to happen. That's not, right? I, I, mean, I disagree. Really? I think. Tell me about well, that. Well, I think that based on what's happening in the book, you can make sort of a list of outlines of like, well, okay, either in this murder mystery, you know, if you're reading and then there were none, it's like, okay, one of these people is the murderer or it, and we can go down the line and figure out who it is and who it isn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean there can't be surprises or that the, the way in which it unfolds isn't interesting. But um, this book didn't leave any chance for surprise. It didn't leave any room to grow. It was it was weird. I'll grant you that. It, but it was weird from a stylistic point of view. So the w- when you start the book, yes, I think the opening chapter is pretty good in that it plays to genre expectations of like, yes, we've all read children's books that involve children learning to use magical powers and entering another world like that's a that's a well-trod genre and i'm here for Mm -hmm. it frankly Mm -hmm. okay the second chapter is where things at first i i well because i was like okay this doesn't have anything to do with patricia or the magic so i thought maybe this was like an anthology book maybe these were just a bunch of short stories about weird children and then that wasn't true you're saying you're saying chapters but i think these are the parts of the book i think there's four parts right well then then there's chapters within those well yes but i am i am still accurately speaking about the chapters they were they were in chapters but yes it's all it's it's dumb in that it's chapters and then also because like the the first part of the book ends almost immediately after chapter two and then like part two of the book is super long and part three of the book is like 30 percent of the book so it's like why was this divided in three parts when it it, it it was dumb that's an editorial note that's fine whatever anyway actual problems with the book that i have uh lawrence's science stuff is tonally confusing to me for a lot of reasons um i th- i don't think that a story about because because we're used to whimsical magic as a genre but whimsical science isn't doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, it's not to say that there are no stories about it. You know, it's it's kind of a comic what, book thing. What makes you describe his science as whimsical? You mean it, just that it's not accurate, or? Well, well, yeah, okay. So yeah, because some of the science is real and some of it isn't in a weird like. So by the end of the book, they're trying to make a wormhole generator to get off of Earth, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. But if at the beginning of the book they, if if the first thing that happens in the book is that they invent a a, a kind of time machine and and he invents a a, a, a real super AI and and nano, but like he, I I don't have an exhaustive list of every bullshit gimmick item that he invents in this book, but there's quite a few of them, and and a lot of them are thrown out as like. Like, like, oh, yeah, no, I have anti-gravity right here. Like, he has all these things, and he has them by the time he's, like, 12. 
And well, I mean, he, I think the only thing he has by the time he's twelve is he has the um, he, he's working on the supercomputer, which is partially brought about like the computer does or doesn't achieve sentience, depending on what you believe in part two. Because Patricia spends a lot of time talking to it because she needs somebody to talk but there, to. But there were and other so Lor- things. No, there were examples of when Patricia was being bullied in school or whatever. That, that uh, There was some like weird uh, thing that they were using to cheat on homework that had some kind of light manipulation. Anyway, he's a literate... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it beams the answers into your eyeball. Right, that's okay. Right. That is a great example of like, well, all right. If that's something that this literal child has in middle school... Then it, all of this conflicts about like, oh, my parents don't like me and I can't go into school. It's like, no, that's you. If you have that technology, you already get to go be a James Bond villain. Like, that's good enough. You don't have to <laughs> you don't have to work with anyone. And then the so this is the problem is that the book on many levels is telling me not to take it seriously, which isn't an inherently a bad thing. Like the the assassin character is also in this same mode. Uh, because the assassin character, the first time we meet him, is poisoned by his own ice cream, and like is everything about it is very silly. The, but I, I I I actually I actually agree. There's a light there's a light quality to this book that that I like though. I mean like like because the assassin is comical, right? Yes, it's in, in exact in exactly the way a school guidance counselor is kind of powerless. I mean like 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 you can't have the person come in, act as the school guidance counselor, and then actually succeed because school guidance counselors they got no traction, they got no power it, at all anyway. But it right? oscillates between this comical and then t- to dark very quickly back and forth in ways that like you you get whiplash from this tonal shift, and I can't say that hmm. it it did anything for me like. By the end of the book, I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. I know I say that a lot, but it's true that what was the moral of the story? What was the am I supposed to like these characters? I don't think I I don't think either of our main characters are very likable. And I didn't really want to oh, see I, either I of them succeed. I, I disagree with that. I, I like them both. I'm rooting for them both throughout. And I think I think that I found myself rooting for their relationship too, because there's enough um, obstacles in their path. And they but they don't always do the right thing. Like they you know, I mean, I mean, I think I think this is all pretty standard genre stuff. But what makes this book stand out for me is that in the in the specific moments, like Charlie Jane Anders picks ways to to tell the story that that are uh, just really pleasant for me. And and I, I think that lightness that you're talking about kind of carries it through. It's not like a it's not a silliness, uh, silly playfulness like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but it verges on that sometimes. Well, it's not it's, it's not, not funny like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now that's that this is a big thing for me is that it's silly, but it isn't actually humorous. Uh, right, and right, right, right. I agree. At least not most of the time. There are some moments where there's there's some funny stuff in it. I can't think of a single time that made me laugh for with because the because the book was funny. Did you not laugh at the webcomic joke? Not really. Oh, I thought that was really funny. Let me let me find it. Well, the joke was that there's a guy who makes webcom. Like that's not a joke in and of itself. Like I think the joke is that we're supposed to think he's dumb. But as <laughs> well as two people on this podcast right now who make a webcomic together, I don't think that's a very good show. And I, well, well I, I I thought I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, like uh, what here here's the here's the quote. Uh, and this is from Patricia's date. Um, yeah. Uh, Kevin, who says uh, to Lawrence, the secret to a successful webcomic is to trick people into believing they will only get all the jokes if they read regularly. By the time they realize there are no jokes for them to get, they've invested too much time to quit, and they can't quite, they can't admit they've been duped, said Kevin. I mean, There is a whole art to creating non-existent jokes that appear to go over everyone's head. It's much harder than creating actual jokes. 
As uh, well, as someone who has been a, a lifelong devotee of webcomics, I don't know what webcomics Charlie Jane Andrews is referencing by this. Because well, I, I don't, don't think she's referencing any. I just think it's a funny view, don't you? I mean, like, I don't know. Well, Maybe but I'm jokes wrong. jokes are only funny if they have referent, if they make a kind of sense. Like, I, I wouldn't say this falls under absurdist humor, although I guess the book as a whole could. I still don't think it's very good absurdist humor if that's the if that's the idea. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. I I think this could have been cool. I think there could have been something here. I think it's interesting that you compare this to Neil. Well, and, 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 to, to, to go back for a second, okay. I think I think the basic message of this of this um, book is that love wins. Like, like like at the most basic, that's the message. Like 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 love will save the world, right? I mean, you can say that's trite. You can say it's been done a million times. Um, I would agree. It hasn't been done quite like this, and I found this very pleasant. That's okay. Maybe that is maybe that was Charlie Jane Anders' goal, but in doing so, I feel as if a lot of what's happening in this book, the the sort of if if our main characters weren't present. I don't think I don't think a lot would change. I don't think that it seems to me. Oh, the world would have end. The world the world would end if they weren't present. From what the hurricanes? Well, the world is like the world is falling apart in in ways that we don't quite understand, and for reasons that aren't quite explored. Like there's been some kind of incident in Seoul. Like the environment is clearly collapsing. There's a giant tidal wave that takes out the eastern seaboard. Like shit is happening, right? And right, but and half of the people, like, half of our sort of groups in this book, seem to think that that's fine, and I'm not dissuaded to think that that they're wrong. I don't think anybody thinks it's fine. the 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 magicians clearly don't think it's fine. They think that people are the problem, and that that people need to be like that. Nature needs to take its course and fix everything, and that people need to be kind of like human society needs to be. What do they call it? The unraveling. It needs to be unraveled. Right? I actually want to talk about that because that is. The only, that is the best thing in this book, and it's wasted on this book. They're basically, colony collapse syndrome for humans. I that's such a good sci-fi idea that is wasted on this book. Well, hold on, hold hold on, hold on, hold on. And, and and then the scientists, the scientists, at least Milton, the guy who Lawrence is working for, like is working on a plan within a few decades to get ten percent of humanity at least off the planet to somewhere else, and they're trying to use wormhole technology to do that, and they have to suddenly. Like, like when everything speeds up, when the collapse of Earth's ecosystems and disasters seems to be speeding up, they decide to speed up the process of, um, of uh, getting people off the planet. And they're willing to do it in a way that is incredibly risky to the planet, right? There's a, there's a chance that their device that they build is going to destroy the planet. And the witches find out about that. And that puts the witches and them in conflict, right? Yeah, I, I understand. I read the book, yeah. No, 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 but, I, but I'm just saying, like, like, I think that's really... It's really smart because there's no inherent, there is no conflict between the witches and the, and and Milton's team, the team Lawrence is working for, like until they decide to move forward with this kind of insane project, right? Right. Um, okay, but let's but, let's talk about the ending a little bit because the big finale that saves, in your mind, saves the world. I don't think it saved the world. Is that uh-huh. a, a a small supercomputer? I guess it's not small, but it's a it's a large cloud-based supercomputer, whatever you want to call it, uh, merges with a magical tree. And I think we're just sort of... And it's it's not addressed how this saves the world. We're just supposed to accept that this is a universal good and that life will be better now. I don't think we're no, I, I, given an example well, I, well, of how it's improved. Well, well... Well, so, so I, 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 no, I, I, I agree that there isn't, there isn't like a moment where you're like, oh, the world is, the world is exactly safe. But the, let's see. So, so what happens is that the computer Lawrence built a long time ago 
has and, and like it's not a surprise to you if you're if you're reading it at all and keeping in mind what has happened in the book before it has it has distributed itself across these devices which mostly help people find people to love right what, what are they called what are those devices caddies called? Remember? caddies is what they're called caddies so everybody has this caddy it's a it's an expensive device it kind of helps you manage your life a little bit better like maybe you don't miss the buses often um you can probably check the internet on it um and it really but it really helps you it's like a kind of social media that helps you find find your perfect companion and like like it doesn't reveal itself to be the supercomputer that lawrence had uh created with patricia's help which he called change me but which uh he renames peregrine when it wants to know its real name and like it starts talking to him at one point um and it helps him and patricia get together uh but it's it's very lonely and that's kind of what it does with itself now you can argue that's kind of a dumb thing for this distributed consciousness to do but it's what it does and and uh but the tree is also this distributed consciousness this this tree the parliament of birds met in and so at the end of the book uh patricia kind of finds her way back to the tree with one of the change me computers and introduces them essentially like these two lonely distributed consciousness consciousnesses kind of get together and like i think there's hope that that saves the world it doesn't it doesn't quite explain it i like that it doesn't explain this huge ending how everything came to be fine you have to you have to kind of believe in the power of love like you believe in lawrence and patricia's love i think at that point i live and you believe i believe in... in the power of love more than i believe in this book is the thing i i <laughs> maybe pe- people listening this might not know this i'm a huge i'm a huge sucker for romance i love a good romance that's like my favorite story mm-hmm. I really, I'm really all about that. This is not a romantic story. I, I don't think there's chemistry between these characters. I don't think these characters oh, that's interesting. have legs to stand on. They're not well fleshed what, what, out. What, what did you think about the sex scene? Did you like the sex scene I, or did you hate I it? I hated the sex scene. Oh my God. I was Really? Really? I was sitting in alone in the middle of an Indian restaurant a couple weeks ago for, trying, to fin- <laughs> trying to finish this book because it was a slog for me, honestly. Every time I picked it, I was just like, "Oh God, okay, let's let's work through this." It's not a long book; it's just arduous because I think it's boring. Um, and I got to that scene, and I was like, "Why?" And okay, this is a larger point in general. Who who are sex scenes in books for? Like, who are they actually yeah, I, for? I, 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 I also I, I I agree with you on that. Like I they generally just I'm like oh I gotta skip this. But this one I found delightful. I, I thought I oh, thought it God, just fit. Really? I thought it was very character based. I yeah I did yeah. And, I love the um, descriptions of their shaved pubes. Was that the? Well, I did. <laughs> I, I I I mean I didn't love every detail of it, but but I thought it was awkward enough and and kind of it was just in character enough to be completely delightful and um and I like the aftermath of it as well, which leaves them both pretty shattered. Like like it happens uh, just as the tidal wave is is taking out the eastern seaboard and um after the after they after their caddies kind of come back online, they find out that um. I mean, Patricia's parents have this, like, last harried call with her, and she goes off, and then Lawrence is brought into the project, and they don't see each other for months. Which and, is, and which is when dumb. They That's a part of, no, this is a part of the book that I think is really dumb, is this idea of, oh, we just can't talk to each other. It's like, well, one of you is magic, so you absolutely could talk to the other person. That That is not well, an I mean, excuse. It, no, you're magic. You, you can do it. Not only I, is she magic, she's, like, the chosen one, so... Actually, she should can, be very good at finding a way to talk to her boyfriend. All I can tell you is I totally bought it. Like, like I, I, I bought into it. I flowed along with the story for the second time. 
Uh, the first time, I remember it being just as delightful. Uh, the second time really held up for me as well. So, and, and I often find, I have to say this, I often find that when I reread books, they are not as good as I remember them being. But this this book was probably better for me if, the second if time. A man, so. If a man tells me that he loves me, and I have magic powers, and I have to go away for a while... There is no way on God's green earth that I'm going to let him, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep him from talking to me. I would, I would kill a hundred men to, to, help. <laughs> <laughs> there is no situation. It, like if, if an actual romantic situation entered into my life like that, I would move heaven and fucking earth. And you're telling me that this super witch can't get, can't send a, an owl with a letter or some other <laughs> bullshit. No, no, I don't buy I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, Willow, I would read your book too. Well, <laughs> and I think I would enjoy well, it. Well, this is what I'm, re- so. I'm, no, I'm realizing this as we're talking is I'm just like, I could just write anything and I think Gene would like it. It's like, all right, here's my premise for, That's... here's my book. It's about a guy, his entire life is, is killing and butchering, killing and butchering, butchering pigs. He's a pig butcher. He butchers pigs every day. One day, he finds a magical penny whistle that takes him to the land where all the pigs talk, and also uh, they invest in crude oil. And uh, he decides to become a polygamist, and he marries five pigs. And <laughs> and uh, the rest of the book is just about his. Uh, I think you shouldn't give away this intellectual property, Will. You might you might want to delete this. I mean, no, <laughs> writing I own, the story on the fly. I own it. I own it. It's fine. I'm not giving it away. Look, someone else can make their own pig polygamist magic book. That I can't keep you from doing that. But uh, I will say I will say this. I will say that I will say that um, when I when I have met somebody or know somebody, I am inclined to enjoy their book, but not nearly as much as I am inclined to enjoy this book after having met Charlie Jane for like what was probably like two minutes in passing. Um, this book this book stands much more on its own. Now the last romance I read before this, and this is not a romance, but the last the last romance I read was a period romance that my friend Barb wrote. And um, I was one of her first readers and Barb was in my uh, writing group, which we've all kind of stayed together and we've known each other since I was, boy, I was probably 19 or 20. Um, so for... 30 years, 30 some years. And uh, I saw them actually last week and I'm waiting for the sequel. And I loved her book so much. And I know that if anybody else wrote that book and put that in my hands, I probably would not love it nearly as much, but I am waiting for a publisher to find her book, which was marvelous. Um, So Willow, if you wrote that book, I know you and like you enough that I would read it and enjoy it and it would be great. So go ahead and write it. I, will, I know, but it, I will definitely. But that's beside the point. Give it, give it great props. I, ne- no, next next podcast, we're going. You're going to be. You're going to suggest we read the Pigs of Venice, and it's going to be exactly that. And it's it's by some author you don't know. <laughs> and it's a sheer coincidence. You're like, no, I love how the butcher falls in love with five separate pigs. The, see, well, I now want. I now. I now want. I now do want you to watch the new new Nicolas Cage movie, Pig. <laughs> which takes place in Portland, Oregon and outside of Portland, Oregon, which, which I watched last week as well, which is, which I really liked. And I liked it much more than my friends who watched it with me enjoyed it. So I would love to talk to you about that. But stuff, well, so, yeah. all right. So anyway. I think we've exhausted the topic of all the birds in the sky. It's have we, Oh, there's so much more. Well, there's no, like, I, I love... bring it on, bring it on, man. So I like the system of magic in this book a lot. Um, I like that magic is divided into two schools that were kind of unified at some point in the past. And so uh, 
the place Patricia Patricia finally does go to magic school uh, after she's a teenager, uh, but only after she tries to save Lawrence from the military academy he's been sent to. Small spoiler. Um, and so this the school is called uh, Eltisley Maze, and it was originally two separate cam- campuses. Which is there's like a place called Eltisley Hall, which is still kind of like the magic school with school uniforms. It sounds kind of British. Everybody dresses up to go there. It's a it's a school. It's very formal. And then there's a place called the Maze where sometimes you have to go to the maze and the maze at the maze you can do anything you want you can behave any way you want and it's kind of um the maze is where you learn trickster magic and eldestly hall is where you learn like healer magic i think and those are the two two main schools and they've kind of been brought together so everybody learns both now um which i guess i guess is to avert the great disaster that everybody finds themselves in now um i just i just like that idea you you didn't like it no, I thought that was fine, but I want I want listeners to know that if they haven't read this book, like that's not a big part of this book. Like that's a paragraph, and I thought it was a cool paragraph. I kind of wished that the book had been about that instead. Like, yeah, you could have written a cool book about that, but um, I think we're given one actual example of trickster magic, and as soon as it happened, it was another one of these things that's like just hugely telegraphed like oh yeah no the the wedding ring that lawrence has been hanging on to this entire book that he keeps talking about every other paragraph of course it's going to come up in this scene where patricia asks for the smallest thing he owns like yeah i got that i was i was right there with charlie oh did you yeah that was obvious dude not to me i don't know but okay but yeah no i think i think the idea like the idea of there's trickster magic and healer magic yes that is a cool idea i wish that it I wish that it mattered in this book. I, and this is where I think we are very different readers is because I've noticed more a lot of the times is that there are these small details that you hang on to. And, and when you talk about it on this podcast, I almost like if someone hadn't read this book, they might think like, oh, this is a huge part of this book. It's like, no, no, no. That gets mentioned like once. That is not mm-hmm. a huge part of this book. No, I, I, I agree that I have I have some kind of weird way of remembering books where I almost I, I think this book really works for me, too, in a way I I, we've talked about this before. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I don't remember endings very much of books. Uh-huh. I remember, I remember, I remember things from the book that are kind of like what I hang on to, right? And and I think it happens as I read too, but it happens more in retrospect. And so I think that I think that what makes a really good reread for me is when those things are as good as or better than I remember them being, and I don't remember specifics a lot. So when the specifics are better than I remember. Like the description of Eldestly Maze was so great for me when I came across it again that I was like, oh, that's, it's not very much of the book, um, but it does lead into, it's kind of a flashback where Patricia is like kind of experiencing her past again, um, her time at that school, and also the kind of disaster she helps create in Siberia, um, which which kind of hangs over things. And it's, it's the reason that she's under uh, very tight control by the magic community in San Francisco and she's sent out to curse people and kind of do good for people but she's not supposed to what do they call it uh aggrandizement aggrandizement she's not supposed to 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 kind of to kind of aggrandize herself she's not supposed to see herself as overly powerful or as influencing the world too much she's supposed to be just like a small cog in this machine um i i just i really like the way that comes together in the book i like i like the craft with which charlie jane um shows Patricia under control, kind of in part three. Uh, she's done something wrong. She's very, very powerful. We don't know why she's behaving like this or putting herself in these people's control. And then we find out later, like, what the truth is. And I, 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 I don't know, I just like, I like the way it's laid out. Um, 
and there, there were also moments in this book that are just like very funny lines um, that I uh, that I enjoyed rereading. And there's enough of those that it it was very pleasant to me. Uh, I think there's a moment when Lawrence and Serafina, uh, his girlfriend, who he always feels like is too good for him, he always feels like she's gonna dump him. Um, it, it's a very strange relationship. It's kind of awful. It's it's painful to look at. Um, but they go out to uh, to dinner at some place that's like Chinese food with donuts. And uh, the quote is, uh, the donuts were fresh, but the General Tso's chicken was a little too general. I just love that. The General General Tso's chicken was a little too general. Perfect. Perfect. I'm in. That's all I need. It's just a line like that once in a while. Uh, I like at the end of the world, uh, when you hit part four, suddenly uh, everybody is into madrigals. It just seems like hell to me. That is a sign of the end of the world, that everybody is into madrigals. Horrific. Just awful. Um I like I like the kind of superheroiness of the end of the book, even though it's very much against uh, against it, it, it doesn't quite fit with the rest of the book, but it seemed to flow out of it. Um, I like Lawrence's sacrifice. There's just so much I like about this book, and I, I did like that sex scene. So weird me, weird me, but I'm not alone. You know, I I feel I feel like other people like this book too. So yeah, I mean, you know, I did the thing that I've done with every one of these podcasts where I I look up the book on Goodreads. I'm curious what other people have to say about it. Um, what do they say? Uh, you know, that's the weird thing is that every single one of these books, it's basically been the same. Is like there are people who just seem to who, who give it five stars. And every book that we've read, someone someone out there is giving this uh, these books a lot of five stars, saying, "I'm so sure. glad that this book exists. This is the book I needed to read at this time. I love these characters. Mm-hmm. These characters live in my head forever." And then there's usually someone like me who is says this book is really boring and nothing really happens in it. Uh, I if you want to read a good book, I recommend this. It's like the book you just read, but I think better written. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. it's it's always surprising how I don't know. It, it it feels as if if you were an alien coming to Goodreads and just looking at books in general, you would just be like. I guess every book is loved by 1% of the population no matter what. And then, you know, another, like, like it always shakes out. It's not like Rotten Tomatoes or something where, like, oh, no, there's a there's a minority of people who think that this movie is bad or a minority of people who think this movie is good. Mm-hmm. It's always mm-hmm. the same demographic shakeout, it feels like, for every book that, that I come across. I, I think what's funny about, about that is, like, I expect, I expect, well... I guess it's it's just much more mixed in a way that I understand when I read something that's um, that doesn't have a uh, traditional narrative, right? That doesn't have characters or that doesn't that like like something literary, right? I'm always surprised when people agree that something literary uh, has a lot of merit, especially when it's um, when it's something that made me very happy. I'm con- I'm so like, confused by your definition. Are you saying that literary books don't have characters? What? Well, sometimes I mean I've read things that are just like you know no punctuation, like uh, they don't they don't have like a what I would call a conventional narrative. They 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 um, maybe are like books that are much more about setting than they are about anything else. So they're books that are much more about like you know the description of um, I, don't, I don't know. Like I've I've read I've read uh, fantasy novels where like this the the importance of the system of magic seems much greater than the characters do yeah i've seen that and i'm just surprised i'm like oh sorry what no i'm just agreeing that that is a i have seen that kind of fantasy book yes i'm not a fan and and i I can be a fan of things like that like but it always feels like oh this book is this book is so weird that i'm surprised anybody else 
enjoys this. Like, like, like this, this touched me for a certain reason. Um, I'm really surprised so many people agree with me on this. Like, I'm, I'm kind of shocked. Whereas this book feels like, um, it feels like a crowd pleaser to me. I just, I just feel like most people would enjoy this book. So I'm surprised, I'm surprised that there are people who vehemently don't like this book. But other other like books that I've enjoyed, I'm surprised that so many people enjoy sometimes. Does that make sense? I mean, I, you know, I don't hate this book, but I was bored by it, which is not what I want a book for, right? Sure, sure, sure. So it's, you know, I if I was well, not reading it well, for this I, I, podcast, I would have given up by like chapter five, probably. Right. And I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that's that's wrong for you. Right. I mean, like, like, that's your experience of the book. But but I'm saying that, like, I'm saying that, like, I'm 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 surprised by that. Whereas I'm trying to think of a book. Uh, I'm looking at my shelves right now. Um, I don't have any of my my weirder books. Like, like I've got a I've got a book um, that's uh, a graphic novel. It's called um, Old Masters, and it's it's a based on a book by Thomas uh, Bernhard, and it's it's an illustrated so it's a graphic novel adaptation by Nicholas Mahler, who's a German cartoonist. And, and then this is translated into English by this guy named James Riddell. And it's like, it's like mostly these two guys sitting in a museum looking at art. And, it's, and like Mahler reproduces the, the classical art in kind of in his close to his minimalist style. And then the two guys talking about art are completely in his minimalist style. And it's such a weird book. I can't believe this book was published, but I really, really like looking at this book. It's so pleasing to me. Now, I, I, I'm shocked that this book exists as a book and that anybody else really likes this book. It's so strange to me. And I don't, I wouldn't read a book on, on old art or like old artists if it wasn't a graphic novel. And if Mahler hadn't drawn this adaptation, I wouldn't be interested in it at all. But it's such a weird confluence of, of things that I really, really enjoy it. And I'm shocked that anybody else likes this book. Does that make sense? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, like, but, but I. I don't feel like. I don't feel like the. I don't feel like all the birds in the sky is anything like that. I mean, I feel like all the birds in the sky like ticks all these boxes just in a brilliant way that makes it very, very fun to read. But I understand that it's not going to make everybody happy. I well, I don't feel as if any of the books that we have read for this podcast so far are exactly normal. Like they, they have genre right Mm -hmm. and maybe that's the problem is that there is no such thing as a normal book but like it's like okay we've read like two ya books which i would say are pretty typical ya books and do do you think this is a ya book or do you think this is not a ya book a ya book it's it's definitely like a ya book um i don't know because it i don't think it wants to be a ya book I think it was not marketed as a YA book. It's it's not strictly a YA book. Yeah. But it definitely has a lot of YA appeal. I I, I would put it in the YA section of a I, I of a library. I would too if I were shelving it. Um and I don't know. I don't want to so YA, I'm not anti YA by any means. I, I think YA is a good genre that should exist. Um but there is a part of me that's like <laughs> I, I think a lot of books my, that I might put in the YA shelves are just like, well, yeah, this didn't want to be YA, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't give this to uh, I wouldn't give this to someone who who's a who's a complex author the, the, who reads better stuff. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> I see. I think I think I think the thing that makes it weird for YA is the opening chapter. 
you know, and then it, like, like it's the progression of ages. Like, like this book, this is a book I think that I wish I had read when I was about 15 or 16, but trying to get me to read that far into it to get past the seventh chapter on them as seven year olds and them as the, them in the chapter as 14 year olds would be, be tough. Right. Like that's kind of an adult thing to read. I don't to get past that, I, those bits. No, I disagree. I don't think that's weird or hard for younger readers there are plenty of books that I read from ages 10 to 15 that regularly had like time shifts and aging. That that's not weird. Hmm. I don't think that's weird at all. Why? Well, but 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 I think I think the YA genre itself, like like uh, the books are usually like the characters' age is usually slightly above the age of the kids they're marketing them to. Like, like that's kind of the rule of thumb, right? And so I'm just saying I'm just saying like in a, in strict terms, this doesn't quite fit in there. Like I, I think it does. Like, like I'm agreeing with you, but I, I also think that from a marketing point of view, it, it would be a little hard. But I think that has everything to do with the expectations of the genre that have been put on it by marketing people since like 2005 sure. onward, right? Like, be, because there didn't used to be a genre called YA. We used to just have books, you know, we used to just hand kids a Christopher Pike or a Fear Street and just be like, yeah, you'll like this. Uh, the good old days, the days of chaos. Well, I'm not saying they were chaotic. I mean, and those were books that, like, ages 13 to 14. Like, it was still, that was a kind of genre in and of itself. There was an expectation that you would read books about ages of certain characters and so forth. But at the same time, if you were a 10-year-old and you wanted to go read Old Man in the Sea, your librarian wasn't going to stop you, right? Unless they were a good librarian, but that that's beside the point. Wait, wait no. What? I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I, I hated the old man in the sea. Well, yeah, but, sure. That's but, a, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, yeah, let's yeah. let's really uh, dig into Hemingway while we're here. <laughs> Give me a separate piece anytime. But uh, <laughs> no, no. Okay, okay. All right. Are, are we done talking about this one? Yeah, I think so. So one, um, if you have a suggestion for something we should read that you think Willow might like specifically, uh, please email us. What is our email address, Willow? I think it's bookstabberpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Is that right? Is that right? <laughs> You're the guy who control. I don't have any, I don't have the login to this email. I don't have any insight into it. So I don't know. You have uh, to tell me. Well, it's so funny. I um, I have to look it up. Hold on. <laughs> if we recorded these I, I more than s- once a month, <laughs> we might remember. I know. I know. Phil Willow. Phil. All right, everyone, it's time for the vamping hour with your host, Count Vampula, the children of the night. Sure it, is, it, it is It is. It is. podcast at gmail.com. See, I was right the first time. Or you can just email me, geneambom at gmail.com. That's fine, too. Uh, any suggestion, just a short pitch. Uh, tell us if we can use your name if we do read the book together. Uh, and that's it. Just, just uh, tell us why Willow would enjoy it. Please, pretty please. <laughs> we need a few more suggestions. We have a few on tap. But, um, yeah, that's it. Maybe Maria Bamford will write in with a, a book you should read that you would enjoy. If Maria Bamford listened to our podcast and wrote in, I would uh, I would go cast myself in bronze as a statue. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to shoot her an email now and see if I can if I can get a suggestion. Don't you, don't you dare. Does that does that count? I think it does. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. It's been uh, thank you so much. Yep been a it's been a time have a great month keep stabbing keep stabbing there you go okay and don't don't kill the podcast right now okay okay that's fine because because here's the deal after after we finish recording every time yeah 
we always have some little discussion. So I think let's just have that discussion right now. Okay. <laughs> what are we? What What have we not said about this book? Uh, I mean, it's. I don't know. If there's that much to say about it. Honestly, it was a pretty dull read for me. I. Oh, wow. I feel bad. I feel bad because you picked this one out for me, and I feel as if a lot of the books that we've read so far. Um, you thought would be sort of an interesting litmus test or you would think would be interesting to read on the podcast for genre purposes. But I feel like this was the mm-hmm. first one you're like, Willow would like this. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I'm not beating myself up that you didn't like it, but um, but but it's, it's, it's interesting to me that you didn't. And um, it's forcing me into some kind of weird diagnostic mode. Right. Like, and, and not that I'll ever, not that I'll ever quite get this but i think my hit rate will get higher well i I think this is part of um i think this is part of the librarian thing though is that like what why did you think i would like this you know i thought i thought um i i honestly thought you would uh be drawn to the characters more i thought you'd be drawn to the characters um and that the characters would take you into the world and that uh i thought you would see everything coming i i didn't think this book would be a book that would surprise you necessarily um, I think it telegraphs itself very clearly, but I thought there were enough light moments, and I thought that the lightness of tone would be very pleasing to you, along with uh, the magic. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know how you would react to the scienceiness. I didn't think you would necessarily root for Lawrence, but I thought you would really be rooting for Patricia, and I thought that um, the way her story weaves in and out of Lawrence's and just kind of the hardship that she faces and the weird decisions she makes uh, would would pull you right through this book. And I'm surprised they didn't. I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to like about these characters other than their lives are difficult. Like, I couldn't tell you anything about them. So, like, if I had to think of three facts about Patricia, three personality details, mm-hmm. um, she's magical. That's that's an actual fact about her, but that's not a personality detail. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you if she's like... I, I couldn't tell you if she is a person who's easy to anger. I couldn't tell you if she's actually smart. I couldn't tell you if she's funny. She doesn't... There's nothing to go on here. I, I have no characteristics. Is she prone to bits of rage? I don't know. There's... We don't get any of that. This is, well, I think she's... I think she's clear... I think she's clearly smart. I think... I think she's very lonely, very much an outsider, which is not unusual in a, in a YA novel or anything that's kind of close to a YA novel. And I think that... I think that she is prone to acting out to some kind of anger because um but this is where we differ is that being lonely is not a personality trait it's how one reacts to being lonely that actually okay fair enough to me well and this is a larger problem i like this i i this is my writing class if i'm teaching a writing class this is the thing i want people to understand is that when you go into a writing class you are asked to create a character and your character is a list of facts and it's like what's their birthday what's their blood type do they like korean food and you go on and you make these lists, but you don't... <laughs> well, no, this is how it actually happens. I've been in multiple writing classes, and they, they do this exercise, and it's a bad exercise because by the end of it, you don't actually have a character. You always end up with, like, all right, a grizzled veteran police officer who, you know, she's abusing painkillers, and but you, you have a description, but what you don't have... What you don't know is, well, how does this character actually react to a situation, which is how you know you actually have a character. Like... Mm-hmm. characters are defined by their actions much like people in the real world are you know 
I don't, it, it, it doesn't matter a lot whether or not you like sushi, but it matters a lot how you respond when the Emperor of Japan summons you to his castle, right? These are, okay, these are the telling details. Um, and with that in mind, I think both Patricia and Lawrence are very passive, uninteresting characters because, yeah, they, they do things like invent a laser that uh, beams information into your eyeball, and then they do nothing with it, right? Uh, like, the the AI is more active than than Lawrence's throughout this entire book, which... No, but lo- no, lo- look, at, look at Lawrence, though. Lawrence, Lawrence, like, invents things. He runs away from home for a brief period of time to uh, try to try to see this rocket launch. He tries to keep his head down. He, um, he tells the guidance counselor off, which costs him. The guidance counselor sends him to military school. And when Patricia comes to save him, he, he doesn't want to be saved. He needs to face it. He knows that he needs to face it. And then he gets through it. And then he clearly takes this, this crazy job in, um, in uh, San Francisco. And when we meet him next, he's dating a woman who he thinks is too good for him, which tells me a lot about him. Not that he's dating her, but that, he th- that the way he reacts to that relationship tells me tells me a ton about him and the fact that he values that relationship it's it's incredibly sad yeah but i i still see that that is all still very much passive information like there this yeah okay so this is i mean this is part of like the hero's journey is that well well i i think maybe maybe the discussion we should be having is that like i don't think this is a very straightforward hero's journey And, and i i do agree with you there's a level of it's not it's not exactly passivity but but it's it's not it's not swinging the sword at the right moment or facing facing their fears exactly although they do they do do some of that like like not i really. think i think this is I, well I but but i mean like 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 par- part of their fear is about about like kind of getting together and admitting their feelings for each other and and part of their fear is um then turning away from that you know to kind of kind of like they're overwhelmed by by their their duties and tasks and kind of the easy thing in front of them which for lawrence is going to work on the project and for patricia is going to try to save her parents after the tidal wave after they get together i mean it's 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 quite um it feels it feels quite realistic to me in that sense like a lot of people aren't that active so so they feel like they feel like they're more real to me in not being like dorian Hawkmoon in the Hawkmoon series michael moorcock's eternal champion book that i like the best right where they're just like fighting giant uh flying uh grasshopper people or whatever whatever the hell it is right people dressed in beast masks and armor and you know with blasters and and uh going to ghost planes and whatever like 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 i like that that's not that's not how this book goes because there's something pleasing about that to me but that but this book feels more real in that see you should have recommended me a hawk moon that would have uh we would would have had a real discussion well, believe me, I, w- someday we'll read Hawkmoon together because I, I I'm loving Hawkmoon, but uh, I, I've been rereading it. I've I've reread the first two books I think in the last year or two, just as pure nostalgia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're 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 so they're so crazy in what they are, but they're so kind of fun, and they remind me of why I loved them when I was like 13, right? I mean, I mean, they're they're amazing books, and um, I'm so glad nobody censored my reading when I was a kid. Well, okay, <laughs> let's talk. That's... Well, let's talk about a story that is about quote unquote real people that doesn't involve lasers or swords. Um, what's a uh, what's a, like a drama piece? Um... Well, I mean, I, I'm reluctant to talk about the Descendants because I know you hate it. Well, yeah, also um, not a good story. No. Um... Well, but but I, I I like it. I mean, like, please ignore Vera Dietz. I thought was no, was no, no, more no. Real let's talk. This. No, let's talk about a classic. Let's talk about um, the Great Gatsby. I've never read it. You've never read the Great Gatsby? 
I read I read an Australian graphic novel adaptation of it that came out in the Jesus in the nineties or early two thousands. Right. I've tried to read that novel. I just can't. It's it's uh, it's not it's not uh, something I want to read. All right. Well, um... I mean, if you were teaching a class and I was taking the class, I would read it, but I would pull myself through it, and then I might love it. But it's like Whoa. I like the Great Gatsby. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, it's a good book. There's a, there's a there's a new graphic novel adaptation that came out this year that maybe will be the thing that gets me to like it but i haven't i haven't picked it up yet so all right um see this is going to be the impossibility of us finding anything that we've read together well, I did. That we both like. what did you read in high school what did they give you uh i read a lot of vonnegut okay i yeah. um sure yeah i like vonnegut i mean i i love i love uh, slaughterhouse five yeah. but it's not realistic i love cat's cradle but it's not realistic right it is science fiction i'm surprised i mean i i, I liked god bless you mr rosewater but i don't think that i remember it enough or breakfast of champions i don't think i remember those books enough to talk about them oh, right i haven't now. read those yeah um um i mean i read i read most of vonnegut's catalog and then i read uh it, at the same time i read most of philip k dick's catalog uh, back when they were hard to find, sure, I had to sure. haunt used bookstores and find the whole thing. Really enjoyed those, and they are very—they are the most talky, kind of ordinary science fiction books. You know, very, very light dose of science fiction for the most part, um, but just people chat, chattering away to each other. Uh, have you have you read Pride and Prejudice? Long time ago. Okay, Pride and Prejudice is great. I love it. I just... Yeah, yeah, Jane Austen, fun. Yeah, well, I think that would be a good point of comparison of like. I don't think these characters are boring, and I don't think that what they're doing is dumb, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's also... Maybe I'll reread that then. You know, it's surprisingly fast read. No, I, I like Pride and Prejudice. I like Sense and Sensibility. I'm a fan of Wuthering Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I liked, uh, I've liked, I liked the few Dickens novels I've read. Uh, I don't like American novels from that period very much, um, but the British novels kind of in the early 1800s, like late 1700s to, like... You know, early 1900s seem great to me. Um, at least the ones that have stuck around that are canon. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should reread a classic together. I don't know. Okay, I mean that would be fine. <laughs> We've already resigned to do this uh, comics. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do the comics thing first. I guess. I guess this is. I guess this is the. This is the end of our side discussion at the end. <laughs> okay. Which I'm excited we've we've kept. Well, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure how this will work editing wise. Well, it's your your call entirely. All right. Do, do, should we sign off? Should we stop now? Uh, no, I'll 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 just move the sign off from earlier here or whatever. Well, I'll figure it out. Well, I, th- I think it's kind of fun to, to leave this as the end, but I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm stopping my recording. Three, two, one, stop it.